I was again taken with Genesis 1, where we see the triune God, the Trinity, come together and they establish this thing called creation. And through that narrative, there's a couple of things that I noticed. It's intentional. God is purposeful, and he's strategic in the progression of how he sets it up, climaxing with, obviously, the creation of humanity with Adam and Eve. And I think that that is so important, loved ones, for us, that as a church and as people and as individuals, that as we move into a new year, that we really move with a sense of intentionality, that we have a, a strategic focus and a, and a general purpose for our lives. And I'm going to talk to you about that personally today, and we'll do it as a church in a couple of weeks. And I may not get all the way through this, so don't panic. Um, but it, it's so important that you become intentional with your life and your relationship with God, because it's so easy to think that we enter into this relationship and it's just kind of, okay, God's going to do it all. He's not. He's done the most important part. He died for your sins. And he, he raised a new life to give you a purposeful present and an eternal future. But in between what he has done and his power that works mightily within you, as Colossians says, we have work to do to be intentional about where we're going. Uh, I've told this a number of times, and I always tell it to people because it so impacted me. And it's very simple. But my college pastor, Roy Hicks Jr., told the story in one of our chapels. He said uh, that he was, he was just talking about, again, being intentional and, and that, you know what, you're responsible for your growth in Jesus. And he was telling the story how he invited a bunch of guys to go to the men's Bible study. And so a bunch of guys came and one guy come up to him afterwards and said, hey, listen, pastor, uh, I'd love to, you know, uh, th- this was great. I, I, I want to come back. So could you, could you remind me, give me a call next week? And you, and you have to understand that this pastor was, had really a prophetic edge to him. He's kind of a short guy and big chin. He just kind of stuck it out. And he looked at him and he said, brother, if it's important, you'll be there. And I thought, you know, I, I love that because that's true about everything in your life. Whatever is important to you, you'll be there for it. You'll do it. You'll be involved. You'll be engaged. And let me just parenthetically add here, guys, uh, even though the growth group cycle doesn't start until March, if you want to come to the Friday morning or Saturday morning men's group, um, you're welcome to come. And if it's important, you'll be there. Um, I'm just kidding. I mean, you're welcome to come. But because uh, that, that one is ongoing, and it's been just a wonderful time with uh, a number of the men of our congregation. I've enjoyed it so much. But if it's important, you'll be there. You'll, really, you'll show up. I was reading a book over the holidays, and in it, it noted this thing called the Westminster Catechism. Westminster Catechism was a, was a series of 107 questions. It was really established back in the mid-1600s. And it was kind of put, and I think it was done by uh, some Scottish and English theologians, and it had to do really, the, the, the Presbyterian Church still uses it today as a teaching mechanism. Pastors used it then. It would be uh, 107 questions, and then they would have an answer. And, and, it, would, and it talked about all the different mega doctrines and, and themes of the Bible. But most of us will know the first question or be familiar with it. We've heard it. This is the first question. What is the chief end of man? And then people would respond and they would say, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. After reading that, I thought, wow, I love that. 
I just, I just love that verbiage that it says, what is the chief end of man? Well, it's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. See, my question, how many of us are really enjoying God? John Piper said it this way. And I, um, he, he said that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. How is that going for you? How's that working for you? Uh, we do this thing. I do this thing every year. I call it my personal growth plan. It has to do with physically, spiritually, uh, uh, now emotionally, and ministerially and professionally. And I put together a growth plan. And this year, one of the top things that I said I want to do, it's taken from James chapter 2, where it says Abraham was a friend of God. And from John, the Gospel of John, where Jesus says to his followers as he's getting ready to leave, he says, I, don't know, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And at the top of my growth plan this year is I just want to be a better friend to God. I want to walk more closely with Jesus. I want to know him better. I really want to do, I want to kind of engage in that. I want to glorify him by being satisfied in him and enjoying him more. I want to feel more like a son than a servant. I want to feel more like a, I want to feel more like a a friend than a worker and a servant. And, and, and I don't know that's the, the serving and the working, that's all part of it. But friends, that's kind of my prayer, I think, for our church, is that we just engage Jesus this year in such a fresh and lovely new way. And as I read that whole, not the whole thing, but just some of the catechism, I looked it up, and um, what does it really mean to glorify God? And I begin to look up some scriptures, and there's really a lot of scriptures that talks about how we're to glorify God and give him glory. And really the essence, the idea of glorifying God consists of giving him value. And where we begin to to reflect him and to deflect everything that we do toward him so that people see the value of this God that we serve and love and are satisfied in in our lives. And it has to do, the Presbyterians would say, has to do with appreciation, thankfulness, adoration, worship, affection, that, we, that there's a relationship there that's moving forward and growing. And that there's a subjection to him because, well, he is the creator of the universe and the Lord of all. And that's why I said, ah, that's what I want. I want to be a friend of Christ. And so what I want to do uh, and I probably won't get through, like I say, all of what's on your outline today. I'll probably have to finish it next week. But I want to just look at how do we glorify God? What are some things in our lives? What does the Bible say about how do we give God glory? How do we glorify him? So if you would, look on your notes there. The first one is simply found in 1 Corinthians 10.31. It says this, Therefore, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. So everything starts with this. This year, I want us to focus on God's glory. I mean, that statement, that scripture by Paul is a bottom line, case closed, whatever you do, make Jesus the focus when you do it. It's when you come to a place in your life when you're just so committed to this relationship, to glorifying the Lord, to placing value on him, that it doesn't matter what you're doing in the minor or the mundane, the seemingly insignificant, you are thinking, and there's an awareness of doing this for the glory of Christ. I mean, whether you're eating a Bosco's burger, whether you are having a diet 
Coke, whether you are playing a game, whatever you are doing, there's this sense of I want to do it for the glory of God. And that's not an easy thing to do, is it? When you're at work, when you're sitting around at home, eating, drinking, talking, working, living, driving. We do it all for the glory of God. I suppose one of the, some of you know that uh, for the last few years I was invited to at the Hospice Tree of Lights lighting in November. Uh, they'd asked me for, I think, three years running to, to come and do the, the, the prayer of, uh, over the lighting and everything. And after my first year, I knew it was, it's an ecumenical thing, and I knew that there'd probably be, you know, atheists, people that don't believe, and people that don't know if they believe, and then people that do believe in this group of probably 300. So whenever I go into a situation like those, I try and be very, very cognizant and, and, uh, and, and understanding of different faiths. And a lot of times when I pray, I will say something like, uh, in respect to all faiths, I give the, offer this prayer in Jesus' name, and I did that the first year. And I actually had a couple of people, a couple of prominent people come up to me and said, well, I just appreciated the way you handled that. Well, after two years of doing that, the last year, they said, well, listen, if, 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 you, if we come through communication, if you have uh, Terry do that again, could you kind of have him tone it down a little bit? <laughs> and uh, kind of the God thing, you know? And so I'm kind of in this quandary. What am I going to do? Do I make some kind of big statement and go, I'm not going to do it, bless God. I'm not going to compromise my principles. They want, if they want a pastor to do it, I'm going to speak the word, you know, or whatever. And, um, and I thought about that. And then I thought, you know, you know what? We, we've actually had a couple of people, you know, come here because of that whole thing. And, and I said, no, I'll, I'll, I'll tone it down a little bit. And I know there's some Christians that would go, oh, man, what a compromiser. You know, what a loser pastor you got. You know, <clears throat> I mean... And, 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 and some of you may think that. That's all right. Uh, it's probably more true than I think it is. But um, the, this, this, is, this is the thought process in that. I said, you know, sometimes I got two options here. I can make this big, you know, bellicose stand that, you know, I am not going to compromise. Or I can say, you know, something, I will tone it down. Because maybe, just maybe, just possibly, God will use my words, my prayer, uh, the spirit of who I am to reach some people. And they say, oh, you know, because a lot of times that's happened. There's some of you that are here because you went to a funeral that I did or maybe a wedding. And you said, wow, I like what he said. Or I like how he did it. And so I said, that's what I'm going to do. And I went and did it. Lo and behold, gal comes up to me afterwards. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I didn't even know about your church and I live fairly close by. And she came here a few weeks ago and come up to me and said, do you remember me? I said, yeah, it was at the hospice tree of lights. See, what I did was I just simply said, you know, this isn't about me. It isn't even about Creekside. It's about Jesus. It's about the glory of God. And it's about that anything that I do, that I will do it for his glory. And I don't say that to pat myself on the back. I say it to you that there are times, there are situations, there are places where I would make a stand and say, no, I'm sorry, I'm a pastor. I can't or I won't do that. But this is one of those times where I said, you know what, I'm just going to pray and believe that God will use me to bring glory to him in this simple, mundane, almost insignificant little prayer. 
before 300 people. And can I just lovingly challenge you that this year, make sure that wherever you go, whatever you do, however you live, you never forget that you are bringing glory to Jesus. That's our call, loved ones. That we give him value everywhere, every day, in every way. Now, I, I hesitated whether I wanted to do this, but I'm going to do it. Um, th- there's another area that we bring, because this is a whole talk in itself, and, and I know some of you, I, I've been called a prude by a lot of people, so you won't be the first. But, but another area that we bring glory to Jesus is through our bodies, our bods. This is what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says, Don't you know that your body is the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you have been bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Now, I can't give you that. I didn't didn't read the whole context, but the whole context, most of the context of chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians has to do with sexuality. And like I said, this is a whole talk, but I I just want to challenge singles and young people and adults that are single. Don't cheapen yourself for the sake of trying to get somebody using sexuality. I'm not going to even waste time trying to be nice about it. I'm just going to tell you. We sell out for so little when we've been bought for so much. And I am tired of, of, I'm not tired of it, that's a bad word. I'm a little bit tired, a little frustrated maybe is a better word. But I have people tell me, oh, pastor, that's so antiquated, that is, you're just an old preacher. Well, yeah, I am, but you know what? I, I, the people were saying this to me 20 years ago when I was young. It's antiquated, you're old, you don't get it. But you see, I've spent so much time trying to rebuild the broken and help people get beyond uh, the brokenness of what they've experienced when they go this way. And I just want to say I love you guys. Singles, young people, you don't see the effects now. But I talk to married couples that deal with the effects of it down the road in their sexual relationships and how it affects them. Not everybody. I know there's, you know, I'm not talking about everybody. I don't want to make it that big. It's big for a lot of people. Glorify God with your body. Now, let me just add one more. This is a a, a PT hobby horse, okay? And I can't ride it very long. But I want to challenge this too, going into this new year, because I'm in the process of doing it right now. Your bod. This is, I'm going to make a unilateral application 1 Corinthians 6, when he says glorify God with your body because it's the temple of God's spirit, he's talking really, the focus is sexuality. But can I challenge some of you? You need to start taking care of your body. Some of us are so out of shape. We eat so poorly. We drink too much. We, don't, we, don't, we exercise too little, and we don't take care of our body. And you wonder why sometimes you're spiritually, mentally, and emotionally depleted and diminished. And I want to challenge you to glorify God with your physical being so that you can give him, you can't give anybody your best. I went home this morning after coming here to pray and uh, our, our little guy, Eyes, spent the night last night. 
And um, I went home and I had to, forgot something went back. And uh, he spent the night on our living room floor and he's just laying there and kind of snuck in and I asked Trina, is he awake? And she goes, yeah, because he was just watching cartoons and I just went and laid down with him. I just love this little guy and I'm just kind of holding him and kind of smooching him a little bit. You know what I think about? I think about, I'm, I'm a big hope to him. And I, and I want to be there for, for I, I hope I can, I hope I live long enough to do his wedding ceremony which is another 20 years possibly, because he's five years old. That means I'd be 77. And I know what that means for me, because my dad, my daddy died at 61 of a massive heart attack. My, father, my grandfather died of congenital heart failure. What that tells me is, I gotta take care of my bod. And I tell you that because I wanna challenge you with the same thing. Friends, we have a lot to live for. We have families, we have loved ones, we have friends that are not secure in heaven yet. And I want to be around to reach as many people as I can and to love as many people as I can. Amen? Amen. Okay, I'll get, that's my hobby horse for the morning. Second thing I want you to fortify, I want us to fortify our life, our prayer life this year, because that's another way that it says we give glory to God. Jesus said in John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So whenever he answers your prayers, it always points to the Father. Jesus answers our prayers, and then he goes, that's what my Father's doing. And we see Jesus throughout the New Testament, or excuse me, throughout the Gospels, where he'll say things like, whatever I hear the Father saying, I say. Whatever I see the Father doing, I do. And so that whatever he's doing, the Father's already told him to do, so when it happens... He just says, Father, I just want to glorify you through this. Now, this little passage right here, this scripture often gets twisted and skewed by our Americano Christianity, believing that prosperity is our privilege and our birthright. And a lot of people really believe this. But if I just tack on the name of Jesus and say, in Jesus' name, it's like the key to the prayer being answered or like it's some kind of spiritual Pixie dust, you know? In Jesus' name. Now God's got to answer my prayer. Are you kidding me? Now I want you to, not today, but sometime this week, think about your prayers. What were your prayers focused on this past year? Was it a new home, a better job, a pay raise? Things like that. Very temporal things. And, And hear me, I'm not saying that's wrong to pray for. I'm just saying, what's the focus of our prayer life? The reason it's so important, because don't don't ever think, loved ones, don't let some preacher tell you that just, well, you you pray in Jesus' name, and it has to happen. Uh, That name carries the ultimate authority. Paul said that Jesus is the name that's above every name, and one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Yet the focus of this verse is simply this, that when we ask in his name, it's so that he will get the glory. And really what it's saying is when we ask in the name, focusing on Jesus, what we're really saying is, Father, if Jesus was praying this prayer, he'd be asking and praying for the same things that I'm praying for right now. Can you imagine Jesus praying, Father, could you just give me a, 
two-story house instead of a one-story house? <laughs> Father, I, I, I like this little Toyota, but could you give me a Beamer? You know, a Toyota Chariot and, or, you know, I got, I got this little small camel. Could you just give me a little bigger camel? I, I don't think Jesus ever prayed that way. If you study his prayers, you'll never see that. He talks about meeting our basic daily needs. But can I tell you what I think Jesus would be praying for? And I think this teaches us how to pray. It'd be things like this. This is how I'm praying. Lord, I've got a wayward child. Would you bring him back to you in the faith? I think Jesus would be glorified by that. I think the Father would be glorified. Lord, my work environment, my culture is a mess. Instead of saying, I want to exit stage right, what if our prayer was, Lord, You've put me in this place. You've given me this good job. It's a mess. The people are difficult. But, but could you teach me and show me how to be a light in the midst of this darkness? Does that sound kind of like Jesus? Not running from it, not trying to escape it, but trying to be in it and to change the culture of it. Lord, give me insight and understanding how to make a difference in every little area of influence in my life. I pray this in your name so that the Father would be glorified. See, loved ones, never forget that God is already involved in our lives. Before you pray, he knows what you're going to pray. He's already seen the end from the beginning. The key about prayer really is about us. It's not getting God to align with us. It's really about aligning our hearts, our lives with his and doing what he wants. You go, well, you got a verse for that? Yeah, I kind of do. If you read 1 Kings chapter 17, there's a great passage in James chapter 5 where it says that Elijah was a man just like us. Oh, you know, he's, he's, he's just like we are. He happened to be a prophet that did great things, but he's just like us. And James is using that as an example to be people of prayer and to look to God. But he says, how is he just like us? Well, this is the difference in his prayers and our prayers. Is when Elijah prayed in chapter 17, he'd already, he was a prophet who was speaking what God was speaking. And God had already said, I'm going I'm I'm to barren this land. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this is going to be a drought. And so Elijah knew that. So this drought comes. Then one day God says the drought's going to end. And what does Elijah do? He goes up two and three, three to three and a half years later, he goes up on, on the mount. And literally, he says he bends over, and the picture is that it's in a birthing position. He bends over in what would, in the Middle East, it would have been the birthing position. And it says that he put his head between his knees and he starts praying, God, bring the rain. Why did he pray that? Because he knew that God had just said, I'm going to bring the rains now. And so he's aligned himself what God is saying and doing. And he gets in and he says, I'm going to birth this thing in prayer. And he prays. And he sends his servant. He says, go look. He goes, are there any clouds coming? And the servant runs, and he comes back, and he says, yeah, there's a cloud about the size of my hand. He goes, okay, oh, God, bring the rain. And he sends him again, and, and the cloud got bigger, and finally the rains came. And this is my challenge to you. Would you glorify God this year with your prayers? Would you begin to pray for things that the Father would be glorified in? 
Would you align your heart with his? And, and, and you'll have personal things. But I want to challenge you to pray for our community. Jesus, would you birth something of your life in our community like never before? Let Creekside align for it. Let Creekside be aligned with it. Oh God, would you align me with it? To wherever I go. I'm aligned and I bring glory. Third thing that really kind of dovetails with this is that we establish a growing faith. I've learned this about my life. I think that my faith hasn't, and just true confession, I think my faith probably hasn't grown because I haven't prayed enough. Or I shouldn't say enough. I don't know what enough prayer is. Do you? No, we don't. But I think sometimes I, I'm a doer. It's much easier for me to do than to pray. And that's why this year I think that part of all of these things tie in as I read them. I said, this is what's going to help me become a better friend to Jesus. And I want my faith to grow. And if I really have a growing faith, it means I'm going to be praying more. Because I'm going to be asking God to do these things and to align my heart with his. Romans chapter 4 Verse 16 says this. This is why the promise is by faith. What's the promise? He's talking about a promise that he gave Abraham. Remember the father of our faith? That you're going to be the father of many nations. It's through your lineage, through your loins, that the Messiah is going to come and be born. It's by faith so that... It may be according to grace to guarantee to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but those who are of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all, the father of our faith. In God's sight, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Why? Because he believed in God who gives life to the dead, who calls things into existence that do not exist. Against hope, with hope he believed so that he became the father of many nations, according to what had been spoken, spoken by God through his word to him. This is what he said. So your descendants, so will your descendants be. Now this is where I want you to see verse 19. He considered his own body to be already dead. This is Abraham. He was 100 years old. And God tells him some years earlier, I'm going to give you a son. And he'd been waiting for this son. And he says, now I'm 100 years old. And even though I'm already dead, I'm still believing. And he says, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, his wife, he believed without weakening in faith. He's 100 years old. Her, she's barren. But he believes. He didn't have a weak faith. Verse 20 says, he did not waver in unbelief at God's promise. But he was strengthened in his faith and he gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that he, what he had promised, God was able to perform. Now, one of the things I know about this story, I think, faith is, is, is involves a couple of things. 
The idea has to do with trusting Jesus in the midst of what is seemingly impossible situations, things that you just know you can't pull off. The word for faith here, the idea has to do with a confidence. It's a trust. It's, a, it's, it's, it's wrapped up in a relationship. Hebrews 11 tells us that we really, that, that believing has to do, our faith in believing uh, leads us to always act. And even though we don't see something, we still believe that God will perform it, just even as Abraham says here. So I'm asking you about establishing a growing faith to give God glory this year. And I'm talking about Abraham and Sarah stuff, these impossible situations. I mean, 100 years old, barren womb. But you have to act on some of these things. I'm not saying you've got to perform it and you've got to pull it off, but you've got to trust God and then you've got to do what he says. Now, I only know of one immaculate conception in the scriptures. You know what I'm saying? Abraham and Sarai had to, had to, you know, they had to do the biblical knowing thing. <laughs> and I, I, I don't, I don't want to be weird, but I'm wondering how that worked. I mean, what, what, did, what did Abraham say to her? <laughs> Honey, I know you're barren. I'm a little old. Let's uh, get a candle and, you know, let's, <laughs> let's do something. I don't know. I, but hear me. Their faith prompted them to act. Faith is not a passive thing, loved ones, and that's what I want you to hear. Here's the question. Are there promises God has birthed in your life or your spirit that you're waiting on to provide? If not, why? What are you intentional about that you want to see God do in your life, in your family, in people around you? This year, I want to begin to believe again and foster a growing faith to believe for bigger things. I want to believe it for my family, for my life. I want to believe it for our church, for our community. But now conversely, I want you to hear this. We can get so circumstance-oriented and driven to believe God, you know, that oh, he's only working when we see things. Or we might say it like this, you know, oh boy, I know God's at work. Why? Well, I got this new job. Or I got, oh, God opened up this perfect situation for a new house. Or I don't have temper tantrums like I used to, and that's a good thing. Oh, he put my marriage back together, and yes, that's God at work. But here's what happens when you don't see those things taking place. See, that's really where the crux of faith takes place. When you don't see God at work, you really have the faith that he still is at work because, well, you have a relationship with him. And because of that relationship, you trust in him. See, problem is, is so many of us, we want to see, we want things made clear and plain. Well, we're Americans, and we put people on the moon. We do heart transplant. We, we, we're smart people. And we want, we want Jesus to make everything plain, and then we'll trust him. But I think biblically, Jesus would say something like this. You trust me, then I'll begin to make it clear. See, a great work of the enemy of our soul 
is that he wants us to come to Jesus for what we can get from him. We want to come to the place, loved ones, where we glorify God through our faith because we just know Jesus is at work even when we don't see something taking place in our lives. I want that kind of faith. I remember when our youngest son, Jamie, was younger. He's coming down with a cold. And I said, okay, son, come on over here. I'm just going to lay hands on you and pray. And he goes, no, Dad. No, Dad, you're not going to pray for me. I don't want to go to school tomorrow. And I thought, thought, wow, that is great faith. And I, and I love when, 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 when the Lord does those things in our lives, don't you? When you just, there's God, he's working. But see, I want to be a man. I want you to be men and women. That when you don't see something, that you can really substantiate your faith by what you see, you still walk in faith because we walk by faith, not by sight. There's two things Jesus never has to explain to us. How he'll pull off his promises. Second thing he never has to explain to us is when it will come about. Jesus' timetable, his agenda, his calendar is so much different than ours. Again, we live in this microwave society, instant credit, instant food, instant this, instant that. And Jesus almost always, if you see him a lot of times, will process people. Take him through a process. Why? Because he always wants to bring us closer to him so that we don't focus on the blessing, but we always look and trust in the blesser. John 11 gives us a great example of that. Remember Jesus' friend Lazarus? He was sick. He was dying. Martha and Mary come running to Jesus, slide up to him and said, Lord, come and heal him. And he said, okay, I'll be there. No, no, Lord, now. He said, I'll be there. So he goes, takes his time. By the time he gets there, what happens? I mean, Lazarus is dead. I mean, he's stinking up the tomb. That's what it says. And what is... Well, then Martha and Mary, they're just kind of ripped off. Lord, if only you would have come here sooner. If you would have showed up. If you would have come when we told you to. And this is what Jesus says to her. You know, if you just have faith, you'll see the glory of God. If you just have faith, would, would, would you just trust in me? Would you just trust my timing? Would you just look to me? I've got this thing under control. And then what does he do? He raises Lazarus up. This year, what are you having faith for? What's maybe dead in your life? Maybe what's dead around your life? What's dead in your marriage? What are you going to believe for? Maybe jot down something that just says, Lord, I, I want to believe you to do this this year. And I don't want my whole faith to be based on what I'm seeing. I want it to be based because I know that you're going to do what's right and you're going to do it in the right time. And I'm just going to give my best to it. And I'm going to trust you and follow you with all my heart, all my life, every day, in every way.